You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Tennis.com podcast once again. I'm here, Ed McGrogan, talking with Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner. Pete back from Miami, Steve back from the couch. Um, so <laughs> we're uh, he's back from Indian Wells, too, so they both did some travel this past month. Um, so, you know, the hard court stretch behind us, the two back-to-back masters. Um, wanted to ask both of you guys kind of to put a little cap on Miami here. You know, what was really, I think, uh, some of the – one of the big takeaways, I think, from this event, um, maybe not necessarily one of the champions, even though it can be, but, you know, Pete, you were down there, of course, um, got to see it for the better part of a week, talk to some people. What do you think was something you'll remember most from that event? David Ferrer will never be a top five player in a final in the Masters at Grand Slam. <laughs> I think that seems pretty well assured. Now, boy, that you have to feel gutted for poor Ferrer in that one. But, boy, he had it. And, you know, it's how ironic is it that the guy who's known for getting every ball and never giving up on a ball ends up – turning over his match point, wasting his match point by stopping play. It was crazy. And, you know, that was, you know, that was, you know, it was a wild match. But uh, the, the guy who really, I, the guy who made the tournament for me was Tommy Haas. You know, he's 35 today, in fact. And uh, Happy birthday. To have played the way he's playing, to be number 14 again. I mean, let's remember, this guy last year was, you know, last year at this time was down around 150, 140 in a world coming off an injury. He actually asked for a wild card into the French Open. They didn't give it to him. He ended up qualifying, won three rounds, and the next tournament he played, he beat Roger Federer in the final of Holly. Well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, what can you say about the guy? It was, it was really, really a wonderful ride, and it was, it's such a pleasure to watch him play. You know, you kind of forget once you get deep into this. I don't know how you feel about it, Steve, but you get neck deep in this stuff. You kind of, well, he's a nice player. He's, this guy's a grinder. This guy's just, but just sometimes you sit back and watch this guy play. What a beautiful game. Yeah, it's true. I felt that way watching him play Djokovic, and, you know, I'd, we'd seen Haas get better and better over the last year which is always which was surprising the whole way but I never really expected him to beat now that you mention it I remember that he did beat Federer last year but I didn't watching him play Djokovic I never would have expected him to go so far as to beat a number one player in the world again in his career but and that was the match where he really like you said remembered how good Haas is and how how much fun he is to watch in the, in, in in the contrast with Djokovic you know the one hand and back in and him coming forward and using that type of game to beat a player like Djokovic. Um, and also, you mentioned Ferrer. I guess we should also mention Andy Murray. Um, his win just shows to me you know, how quickly things can change in tennis. But just the week before, he loses to uh, Del Potro in Indian Wells. It looks like maybe Murray's made a mistake not playing enough matches after Australia. And it looks like Del Potro's the guy who's going to – now he's going to take over and break through in the top four. Now it's Murray. And Murray suddenly looks pretty good in that – he rest, he's rested a little bit. He seems really ready for um, for the clay season. He says he's gonna he and Lendl are gonna take it more seriously than he has in the past. And he, I think he feels like he has he has more of a shot on clay. And you know now he's the guy who's he, you know he's up to number two in the world, which I think is is also a realistic look at the way the men's tour is now. Djokovic one, Murray two, and Federer and Nadal behind them. Haas, I think, uh, you know, such a great stylist. He he almost reminds me of um, Fred Couples, if you want to compare it to golf, the swing that everybody, I think any player, uh, rec player especially, sort of idolizes just how, how, you know, just play the game, in quotes, the way it's supposed to be played, perhaps. But but we've written Haas's, I feel, obituary almost every year for the past three or four now, and somewhat justified because I think of all the injuries he's taken, but he really has put up those results. And I think 
I, I think this Miami tournament turned into um, – I think we all agreed uh, that it was kind of really didn't start off on great footing with what we with the withdrawals of Federer and Nadal, and I think this really definitely sort of picked up um, as the week went on. Haas played such a big part in that narrative there, um, so it was really nice to see. I think some of the some of the non big four, because in the end this all goes back to yet again Murray winning the title, very close as you say, but um, you know. I think it's how these tournaments unfold. You have you have certain things developing through the first weeks, and the you know by the end you have sort of a whole another storyline there. So David Ferrer is now one of the big four, right? That's right. He's number four, and he's <laughs> actually Nadal is going to have to fight to um, to pass him for the fourth seed at the French Open, which is an interesting aspect of the clay season. Any final thoughts? I, I know you uh, made mention of the women's champion in Miami to share up over there, or. Um, Serena and Sharapova. Yeah, yeah I think sorry, sorry. I felt like from a Serena standpoint, it was really, it was her usual um, way of winning. She was down three times, and she, when she needed to, she turned it on and won. She showed that she, that she can still do that. Um, with Maria, it's it's almost uh, a little good and a little bad. She, for a set and a half, I thought she was going to win that match for sure. It was the best I've seen her play against Serena in, in years, and she seemed really ready to win that. And then Serena just decided that 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 um that she was going to win, that she was going to play better. And Sharapova had no answer. I don't know whether you take that as a positive or a negative. I think I think you do have to take it as progress for Sharapova after last year, some of the humiliating defeats um, from Serena last year, especially at the Olympics. So I think Sharapova takes something out of that positive. She was pretty cocky after that win, you know, after that loss. You know, she's, you know, she said, I think twice in the interview, she made a reference to the fact that I'm going to beat her or this was a step forward in the right direction and stuff. And, uh, you know, what, you, funny what winning a set will do for you. Right? No, exactly. Yeah. You got to like that. But what really struck me about Serena, by the way, is she's, you know, her defense and her shot penetration is so good. Sharapova's been beating up on people, playing really well. And she actually, she was pretty dialed into her regular game for most of this match, too, here in terms of keeping a ball in play, hitting big aggressive shots, keeping it in play. That's how you end up dictating. And that's what she does with so many of these women. She ends up dictating. The great example is Wozniacki in the Indian Wells final there. She just, you know, stepped in there and took control. And, you know, against Serena, though, it's Serena. She doesn't even look like she's running out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, Maria will hit a, a pretty good shot to her forehand or backhand. And a ball come back, and Maria scrambling to retrieve the ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, the impetus is on Serena's side, and she does it. It just – her her defense is really underrated, and she does so much with so little. A little flick of the wrist, a little squash-type shot here, and she she just makes makes it happen for herself. It's, it's pretty amazing. The psychology between those two, Maria really – I don't. She does struggle to believe that she can beat Serena. As soon as Serena started to play well in the second set, she started to talk to her coach. Maria did talk to Thomas Hogsett about mm-hmm. how Serena's playing better, and you know, sort of, what can I do about that? And he he wasn't happy about that because I think he understood that that she sort of has the psychology of Serena's playing well. I can't I can't really beat right. her. Yeah, sort of a self-defeating thing going on right there. It's funny. We don't get to hear the coaches, by the way. You guys sitting at home, you hear the coaches. You hear all this. We're sitting there courtside practically, and it's like we're covering the event. We're there. What's he saying? What's he saying? You guys sitting around a TV a million miles away saying, oh, yeah, Huxton's telling her to do this. You have to go on Twitter to find out what somebody (laughs) is Exactly. There's no need for guys like you anymore, Pete. (laughs) Um, This week, I'll I'll end with Charleston, which I'm heading down to in just a couple days, but – Switch to what the men are doing this week, and that doesn't start until Friday, Davis Cup quarterfinals. Um, we'll start with the U.S. who plays Serbia. They host them in, in Boise, Idaho. 
Serbia is coming along with Novak Djokovic. This is one of the few times that uh, the U.S. has played a team of this caliber recently, and they actually bring their top player here. Federer skipped out on a tie that you actually went to a few years ago down in Birmingham. Uh, they didn't get in the doll, I believe, in Texas. In Texas right. So this is, I have to say, this is sort of a surprise for me to even see Djokovic playing. Um, I, w- I was not very certain about that up until it seemed like well, it was getting too late for him to pull out. So he en- he is going. Um, Tipsarovic won't be for Serbia. It'll be Troitsky and um, Zaman just to help out with the doubles. U.S. has Isner, Query, and the Bryans. It's kind of their new version of Blake, Roddick, and the Bryans here over recent times. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, this is where I kind of want to pose it to you guys. I mean, you have Serbia with the top player in the world. You have U.S., obviously, with the home court advantage, great doubles team. You know, who Who is really the favorite in this tie, do you think? You know, how do you... How do you sort of pick this apart before it gets going on Friday? It's going to be. I know Isner will be playing Djokovic on Friday. It just depends on where um, you know where that match falls first or second. I think it's a pick 'em. I would take the U.S. Um, mainly because of the doubles, the Bryan brothers in doubles. So the Bryans lost in the last tie against Brazil. Djokovic obviously is the favorite in both of his matches. He's lost to both Isner and Query, but I don't expect him to lose to either of those guys here. I think it would come down then to to the other Serb Troitsky versus Isner and Query. I think Isner and Query can get a win out of that. Um, and may, may need yeah, two it, wins out of that. So I think it's I think it's tough. I think the U.S. has a good shot to win, though. I think Isner is it's such a – I mean, some of the quotes you've seen from Isner in recent months, you know, talking him, him saying that, you know, it was such a huge win over – I can't remember who he'd be like. It was Ivan Dodig or someone like Like, this is not the same guy mm-hmm. who we saw last year who was, you know, forget – the guy who beat Djokovic and Federer, he was going Sanga. deep, going deep, but quite in Sanga too. Um, yeah, definitely a different tune for Isner this year. So I think he's, as you say, I think very liable. Maybe Query is more of the the key in singles. Maybe they'll have to rely on him getting. getting I tell you, I'm not real positive. I'm not real hopeful for the American side. It's kind of a mess. I think. I mean, I, I think Query is a great captain. I just hope he can get through this and get this team pulled together or get some some more help. But. Uh, Isner is really struggling, obviously. Query, you know, I, you know, the last time I, the last thing I saw him play, he played just a horrible match against Berdick in, in Miami, just terrible. And you know, sure, you could say you get that out of your system, you slough it off, you come back. This is Davis Cup, but these guys really haven't played enough Davis Cup together. There isn't this sense yet that this is like you know, sort of the, the can-do brigade who is going to go out there and. and, and you know, play above their heads. I think they're all running a little bit scared. And, uh, you know, the Bryan brothers are the only real steady, you know, real reliable factor here. The Serbs maybe will come down to Troitsky getting a win. That'll be, that's what they'll Yeah, which do. is very, you know, who, who would say that's not possible, right? Right. No, it's definitely possible. The, um, the other quarterfinals, you have Canada hosting Italy. Um, the U.S. and Canada could actually play each other in the semis if they both won their home matches. I... But it doesn't, you know, neither of those two are anywhere near certain to do that. Um, Italy with a pretty, I think, underrated team, as we were talking about beforehand. Um, Argentina hosts France. Argentina's captain actually said France was the favorite in this. uh, Argentina will not have Del Potro. France coming in with Sanga, Gasquet. This is on clay, of course, in Buenos Aires. Kazakhstan and Czech Republic is the uh, the fourth and final quarterfinal. Why can't France win any of these matches? I mean, you know, you look at the talent. For, it's been years now that they've had Sanga, Gasquet, 
Simone. Simone. One, I mean, one trouble is... with them is clay. They str- they struggle on clay. They lost to the U.S. in Monte Carlo last year. Now they're going to have to go down and and do it on clay. Songus, you know, he he's has said recently that he doesn't think any Frenchman could ever win the French Open when it's on clay. <laughs> I guess um, the friendship when it's on clay. Yeah. Of course, he said that last year too, and he had Since a pretty good match clay, here yeah. with Djokovic. Yeah, had... That's true. I think France is a really. They have a complex at home matches. I think what you're saying, they've really come up short on a few of those. They're that, like Argentina, you know. They're like yeah. totally. So there you go. You know, they're playing they're, each other. They're always much better on paper than the. Perfect than they, should they be an interesting tie, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and that it's going to be the battle of who's going to like screw it up. Um, Burdich won't be in there for Czech Republic, Canada, Italy. Maybe a quick thing on that. Um, it's uh, this is, you know, Raonic is a guy we bring up all the time. He's what oh, you mean? You mean it's not about Pospisil? <laughs> uh, perhaps it will come down to that. I mean, this is this is a could be a pretty close one. Seppi and Fanini for Italy. Um, Canada gets Nestor and doubles, so you get that help with Davis Cup too. Um, it's another tough quarterfinal. I think. I think all of these are actually a little bit. Difficult to pick for that reason. Even Kazakhstan check without this is actually in Kazakhstan. It's without Burrich, like I said. So um, I don't think any of these quarterfinals are are gimmies compared to some of the opening round matches we saw there. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, you won't be uh, seeing the winner the winners of these face each other for another four months or so down the road. So it's the nature of Davis Cup, as we always. Is always comes up in the annual articles here. So, um, and like I said, to count to wrap up the week, we'll be in Charleston. Um, this is uh, Serena Venus down there right now. Um, Wozniacki and Stozer, two former champions there as well. Um, one thing I, I did want to point out from the early results yesterday was actually kind of a a, a pretty interesting day on that. Um, I saw Townsend played as well. I'm not sure if she won that or not. I couldn't reckon, remember that. Udan actually went three sets with Yankovic. And then Sloane Stevens, sort of the misery tour since Australia continues, she ends up losing 2-0 and to um, Maddox Sands, of all people down there. I mean, this is a semifinalist in Melbourne. Did, did either of you two see Stevens in March during your tournaments, or did you just get there too I watched late? Her, I watched her in Indian Wells. She lost her first match to... The other Red Wands, Ula Red Wands, because she didn't look very good. But this, you know, Sloan has lost six of eight matches, but this one is still something of a shock. She says she likes clay. I watched her beat Maddox Sands at the French Open in three sets last year. Now she loses 2-0. and oh. I had thought that, you know, I had thought maybe after Melbourne that this type of thing might happen and it wasn't a big deal for her that she would have, she would have some adjusting to get used to the spotlight. And But this one feels like, this one is a bit of a surprise and, and it makes it seem like, this little slump is going to last longer. She, you know, you don't feel like she should be losing. She's in the top twenty in the world. She'd be losing two and zero to to Bethany Maddox Sands. And you know, I don't think it, it just seems like a trip to Europe for the next two months can't possibly help matters. I almost feel like I mean, you can look at it that way, or you can look at it like you know, she's finally out of the U.S. where she's going to be on the center court each match. I know she's talked about that in some of her quotes that. Yeah, that's just the nature of it. You're going to see her in the U.S. Open this year. She'll be on Ash without without question in her, right. for her first match, and and that could go pretty badly depending on how she takes. Well, it. her quotes so. of she's she's sort of emphasized the yeah, long term. Go ahead and hit on this. Has yeah. said, "Don't worry about these matches. I don't even care about losing these matches. I'm still going to be in the top 20, which is not a that's not what you want to hear. 
in some ways it's I think it's realistic because she does have a good she has long she has talent for the long term. But I think that's an attitude she's going to want to change. You know, even if she thinks it's realistic that she she can lose some matches and still be okay. I don't think that's what you normally would hear for somebody who's who's young and and getting better. Right, right. Um any final words? I'll give you guys the uh, the end of the floor there. But um, well, it's surprising with her. <clears throat> you understand why she would say what she did, but you know, but boy, you know, where are the players who say, you know, I just got to the semis. I want to win one of these things real soon. I want to like build on my momentum here. You know, it's. I thought it was pretty discouraging. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, we understand what she's saying with that. That she's trying to keep the pressure off. Basically, she's saying, well, I don't have to worry about it. The trouble is, if you you know, if you're if you're so you know intent on distancing, it, you, you need to welcome that pressure at some level, even though. It's obviously somewhat onerous. You know, you need to say, you know what, I'm in a great position now. I can I can really make some progress and continue here instead of saying, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen if I lose these next, you know, couple of weeks if I lose a bunch of matches? Because, you know, it goes away fast. I think that attitude also is self-fulfilling. If you don't think you need to win That's right. a match, you're less likely to win it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you wake up and suddenly it looks like you're going to be coming off of that number six and you're going to drop to number 30. And then you really got to win. And then you're playing somebody you're thinking, Jen, I don't know if I can beat this girl. So it just it just makes her life more complicated, even though in a real short term it might make it easier. In a long term it makes it more complicated. Yep. Good. Um, we'll touch again on this after each of these tournaments we've discussed has wrapped up. And um, we'll have Davis Cup coverage this week. Pete will be previewing all the ties individually tomorrow on Thursday. Steve covering the ties through the weekend. So, again, thank you for listening. Tennis.com podcast, Ed McGrogan, Pete Bodo, Steve Tegner. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.